The following AGIO-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast. Welcome to Thalpals, the alpha-beta revolution. Whether you are a thalassemia patient, a caregiver, a partner, or a provider, this podcast is meant for you. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kuo, and on each episode, the Thou Pals, the Alpha Beta Revolution, will strive to provide listeners with critical education, the latest scientific updates, and voices from the greater global community of people who were touched by thalassemia. I'm joined today by my guest co-host, Laurice Levine. Hello, Laurice, and welcome back to the Thou Pals. Hi, Dr. Kuo. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. The honor is all mine, but uh, we have a greater honor today. We have a great guest with us. Yes, we do. I'm so excited that we'll be speaking with Ralph Colasanti. He's joining us from Delaware, and he is the newly appointed um, executive president of the Cooley's Anemia Foundation. He is the first patient in this position, and the community can't be more thrilled to have him. He'll be a fabulous representative. I couldn't agree more, Larice. Well, welcome, Ralph. So, Ralph, you made history on two counts. A few months ago, you became the first patient to be elected as president of uh, Cooley's. Congratulations. And I guess on the second count is um, you're now the proud grandfather of your granddaughter. Thank you. It was an honor to be elected, and it was also, like, amazing just to have a grandbaby. So... How do you think that your personal experience of thalassemia shape or will impact your leadership at Cooley's? Well, I think right now I bring a different mindset to uh, leading the foundation because I actually have lived both sides of of the aisle. Um, I'm a patient first, obviously, but I got involved in the foundation over 24 years ago, first with TAG and then um, actually sitting on the executive committee, which is the governing board of the foundation. So I've been been looking at, you know, things and over the last 24 years, the improvements that has been made in, you know, treatment of thalassemia and just the way the foundation treats our patients is, is just amazing. So I think, I think I'm a different perspective because I, you know, like I said, I am a patient first. So I do know some of our needs, especially for the older patients, which sometimes we kind of, you know, we kind of get, I don't want to say forgotten about because they don't forget about any of their patients. We don't, you know, we, we make sure all our patients are heard, but the research and development is always for cure or, you know, cure option or better quality of life. So my focus is to bring a better quality of life for the older patients because we suffer from not only thalassemia, but byproducts and other diseases, other illnesses that come with thalassemia. So for me to always raise my hand and and say, hey, what about us is something that they've come accustomed to over the years at our board meeting. So, you know, it's little things because as adult patients and the fact that we're thriving and getting married and having children and, you know, just the, the struggles that we go through to get to that point leave us not only with a financial burden, but also taxes our bodies as far as it comes. Now, I'm hoping and our new generation, the younger generation, I want to say the 30s and and below, are not going to experience some of those things because they've been treated a lot 
better to according to the latest standards and we have a lot a lot of new uh, a lot of new treatment options and that's that's you know been a realization of late Agios is a biopharmaceutical company that's fueled by connections with patient communities healthcare professionals partners and each other Building on these connections and the company's unmatched leadership in the field of cellular metabolism, Agios is pioneering therapies of genetically defined diseases, a broad group of rare and more common diseases that are typically severe and life-threatening. Near-term, Agios is focusing on hemolytic and acquired anemias, including sickle cell disease, pyruvate kinase, or PK deficiency, and thalassemia. To learn more, visit agios.com. That's A-G-I-O-S dot com. So, Ralph, you know, as I sit and reflect about aging with thalassemia and older patients, and it's amazing right now that we're even talking about curative therapies and options and how that ties into the foundation because options are vital because one therapy won't just work for every single patient, regardless of you know age, health condition, lifestyle. But I am so grateful because we do have options and it, we didn't always. So will you tell us a little bit about how you managed thalassemia growing up um, during your childhood and early adult years? Because we didn't really have options. And I think it's easy to forget how far we've come. So will you tell us a little more about that, please? Sure. I'd, lo- I'd love to share that. First off, I wasn't diagnosed with thalassemia until I was like, I think I want to say six years old, which is kind of late. I actually have the letter. I found it in one of my mom's uh, strong boxes when she was moving. It was dated 1971 and was from a doctor at Rutgers University to my pediatrician, who was Dr. Zuckerberg in, in, in North New Jersey at that time is where we were living. And it basically painted the grim picture on a, and you could tell it was typed. You could tell it was uh, not a, not a word processor or anything like that back then. But, um, you know, it painted the grim picture of your, your child has thalassemia and, you know, also known as cholesemia was, was what was in the letter and basically suggested some places for treatment, which was New York hospital, New York Presbyterian. And that, which was the only option back then. And um, basically told my mom that, you know, maybe 13, 14, mid-teens to no, no later than, you know, late teens. It's mid to late teens was actually diagnosis. So prior to that, it was crazy because my pediatrician had me on all kinds of stuff. I was, they thought I was allergic to milk, so they took all dairy products away from me, which used to drive me, uh, you know, dairy as a kid. I used to wait till my mother and father weren't looking. I would go in and just eat sticks of butter because I love butter on my toast and I couldn't have it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm four or five at this time. There were so many things. All I know is I hated going to the pediatrician because I always got poked and prodded. What had happened was I was yellow. And, you know, once I was diagnosed, I was sent to New York Hospital. And that was about a good 40-minute commute for us. So, from the time I was diagnosed, I, I started at New York Hospital. I was probably like six and a half, seven years old. And I was there until I was 40. So treatment in the beginning was no transfusion uh, because I seemed to be okay with the count of a seven or eight. I did have splenectomy because at that time I had my splenectomy. I think I was in third or fourth fourth grade because my, uh, my belly was huge. 
So, um, and that was also the mindset was take the spleen out because that should raise the hemoglobin a little bit once it got to that point. So they did take the spleen out. My hemoglobin was still around, you know, seven or eight. So there was no, I was diagnosed with thalidomidia, but there was no non-transfused or transfusion dependency as we are now. So I kind of lived like that. And, um, you know, I just remember being, my mom always felt that since I wasn't going to live a long life, that she would make sure that she would help others. And she signed me up for every clinical trial there was. So needless to say, I kind of lived in a hospital a lot during my younger years in grammar school. And I had fun. I, I mean, you know, outside of being poked and prodded and everything, but, you know, I just kind of lived with it. It just made, you know, I didn't, you know, my mom had her own mindset. My mindset was I was going to do everything I could possibly do in the little amount of time I had. So whether it was try things I probably shouldn't have tried or done things I probably shouldn't have done, like, you know, jumping stairs with my bicycle or, uh, you know, building ramps and, and crashing my bike a few times or, but um, I did have funny, funny story, Little League. I started playing Little League and I didn't know I needed a doctor's um, note to play Little League. And it was opening day and we were all in the parade and, and the coach came up to me and said, we don't have a doctor's note for you. You can't play. So there was a doctor that was at the field. He, you know, checked my heart rate and everything. And he kind of signed off on it and gave me the opportunity to play baseball. And he was a gynecologist. I didn't find that out until like, I didn't know what a gynecologist was, but, but he gave me the okay to play baseball. So <laughs> I just tried to be a normal kid. And then of course, you know, growing up in the late seventies, early eighties, high school was, was a challenge. I still wasn't getting transfused. I, I was feeling more lethargic, but you know, it was just, for me, it was just to live and live the best I can and do whatever I can and try to keep up with my friends. Now, I guess the other thing was my mom didn't really have a, a good education and, you know, my mom didn't graduate college, high school, never mind college. And uh, no one in my family went to college. So, you know, I went to a college prep school, which was probably the best four years of my life because it was just, it was just amazing. The friends I made and the connections I still have. Was I bullied by today's standards? Yeah, I probably was bullied and harassed and, but by standards of the 80s, you learn to deal with bullies by making friends with the football team. So nobody really picked on me after that. And when they did, I always had somebody to have my back. But it was just, I think it was just survival and, and trying to, you know, because in the back of my mind, it was every day I just looked up and I said, hey, this is a gift. You know, I, like I, I'm very faithful. I belong, believe strongly in my faith. So I just said, it's another gift from God, another gift from God. and. At this time, I made up my mind to go into computers. I, I always wanted to be an, an actor. Like I always wanted, like I loved being in the plays and I was going to pursue acting. But as my mother directed me, there's no insurance benefit when you get, you're an actor. So I needed something with insurance because back then you were kicked off your parents' plans at 19. Even if you were in college, you were kicked off your parents' plans at 19. So, um, you know, I talked to the guy and I, and I was like, no, I really, I promised my mom I would not end up in a factory that I would go to college. And that's what I'm going to do. So we're having this conversation. He's like, well, you're a great employee. We really want you to work here. And do you know if you, uh, if you work for us after a year, we pay for college. And I was like, what? 
how does that work? Like, I, I, ne- I never heard of things like that. You know, I never heard of a 401k. Like, they're giving me money just to work and save. I was like, so I ended up obviously taking that job, worked at Sandoz for a good 12 years. So I guess I battled it enough to win the battle, I guess, because I'm still here. So, you know, I, again, still not getting transfused, really didn't talk about transfusion until the recent tag and everything came into my life was when um, I started feeling like I was so lethargic and, you know, I was working. I met my wife at work. We ended up getting married, having our daughter, which they told us would never happen. So Jessica came, I was like 32, I think when Jessica was born. So that's about the time I started uh, obviously taking better care of myself. Again, still battling. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, but, the journey. Uh, Oops, sorry. Incredible journey. Oh, there's there, there's more stories. I could, I, I could probably take up the whole podcast, which I probably did already. But um. No, no. Your journey is incredible. I, I just wanted to, to ask. You mentioned you were introduced to Coolies. So could you tell us a little more about finding Coolies and what that organization meant to you? We, I mean, New Jersey used to have what they called, I guess the New Jersey Volunteers, I think is what they were called. But they were a group of parents from New Jersey that knew their kids were not going to have a long life and they just wanted to make life fun. So this is a woman, Mary Minacci, her, her, her son was George Minacci and he was a good friend of mine. He was like, one of the only few people who actually talked to me when I went to clinic, because I wasn't at clinic every two weeks like everybody else. So even in my own community, I was kind of like an oddball. So we don't have to talk to him. And, you know, but Georgie did. And I, I, I he lived in New Jersey and I went to his house a couple of times and um, his mom used to run trips. So we would go on these trips. I was probably 15, 16 years old. And we went to Disney World. She would always take us to like a, a Broadway show. And she would raise money to take us on different trips. And it was like, you know, I mean, there was still a little cost, but it wasn't a big cost for the parents or they would always have Christmas parties. And she was part of that. And then there was this other family called the Brady's and we all, we all know and love Duke Brady. They always had Christmas parties for us. And, um, you know, so we were in that community. Like I, I grew up with, with Sandra and uh, Duke Brady running, running things for us and, you know, if my mom had questions or anything. And they would have dinner dances that we would get invited to as a patient. So we would go and, you know, I always like saw these people and heard all these speeches. And I was like, wow, they're doing, doing some good stuff. So then Duke had this idea of, of tag, Duke Brady. And he asked me to come to his house. But I remember me going to his house and we were just kind of hanging out in the basement. And they were talking about this thing called tag and uh, asking if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, Really not sure because at this time I was in high school, college, working full time. And I was just like, you know, so I never really became part of it. One, another thou patient named Sophie Shishilis. And Sophie was just an amazing person. Her and I got to be really good friends. And she kept saying, why don't you become part of TAG? Someone had asked me if I wanted. Actually, I joined the national board. Gina, Gina Chioffe said you would be great on the national board. Gina happened to be a really good friend with Sophie. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll join the national board. And I gave them my resume and, you know, they get, asked me a few questions. And, I was, you know, it was sat on the national board, which to me was an honor. And then I got to kind of know the board a little bit. And then I became a member of TAG. 
And at my first meeting, I think it was my first meeting, Larice, there was clicks and we were trying to break down the click barrier. And uh, lo and behold, I was like voted vice president. <laughs> I was like, how am I vice president? I never sat on this board before. Well, they voted me vice president. So I'm like, sure, I'll do it because evidently nobody else wanted to do it. I think I was thrown under the bus. <laughs> but um, and shortly after that, there was a falling out between patients, as we usually do. And our president resigned and I became president. So me becoming president put me on the executive committee of the foundation because that's how the tag charter was written. So now I'm like, I went from going to like meetings once a once every so often we would have tag meetings to having to go to a meeting once a month and to represent tag and to um i had to drive again to flushing at the, from new jersey so i embraced it and i saw that these these people are wonderful i mean there there, there was a i think there was a little I want to say i think there was a wall built up between the patients and the found, people who ran the foundation at that time and TAG was funded by the foundation. So I was like, well, these are the people that give us the money to do what we could do. So we have to embrace them and listen to them. And, you know, but the other issue was we were all getting older. So we were, you know, we were in our thirties and twenties and thirties. And we're like, we could do this on our own. And I'm like, well, we can't raise the money. That was my big thing is I didn't have the time to put into raising the type of dollars that our board of directors raises. So there was no way I was going to do that, you know, and then my time in tag ended and I stayed, remained on the executive committee. So um, that's how I, you know, I ended up staying there for 24 years and just watching. And I mean, we had wonderful people on our boards, you know, and the fact that we have great executive directors that help get sponsorship from pharmaceutical companies, which was something they never even thought of back, you know, going when we started. So, Ralph, uh, thank you for prov providing us with your interaction with Coolies over the years, as well as uh, essentially you provided on, on the background of the growth of Coolies. So thank you for that. So now that we have heard about the past, um, what do you see in the future for the thalassemia community? What do you think that the community is hungry for and what can we all do to meet the needs of the patients? That's a good question. That's what I'm actually trying to find out right now. The big issue back then was blood safety, and we still have an issue with blood safety. So we do look at that. Um, that's something Foundation works hard on. Frank Vaccara, Nijio Cassetta, all the, all the people that came before me, Peter Peter Kieko and Frank Somo and Tony Viola were awesome presidents that I get to look up to. So I think they really set us in a good direction. Right now, I said, like I said before, my focus is going to be on quality. We need a, a better quality of life. We need oral chelators that work for everybody, not just work for a few. I know there's research being done. So I'm looking, um, I, I want something that, you know, we need options and we, we're, we're starting to get more and more options, but we're, you know, I want to set our focus on getting us as many options as possible because thalassemia is not cookie cutter. Every patient is different and everybody's needs are different. I do want to, you know, look for more things for adults patients to, you know, some more research maybe getting done with. I know there's a lot of dental issues with adult patients. I know there's a lot of bone issues. And um, unfortunately, our osteoporosis cannot be treated like normal osteoporosis, even though that's the only way we could treat it right now. But um, there's got to be something else, making sure that 
Dallas Union patients' families are covered. Like we know, again, it's hard for us to get life insurance. It's hard for us to even prepare for a future. They're giving you something, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I just really think that, you know, the foundation's come a long way. And we are a small group of people, small foundation that has done big things. We really have. And I think that's the other thing is that they look at, you know, you look at a Dallas human patient and I'm going to tell you, it's the strongest person you're ever going to meet. And the foundation knows that. And the foundation, my, my goal is to get more patients involved in the foundation because, you know, we know people, we can raise money. We can help raise money. Every patient should do a care walk. Even if it's just sign up and walk around your block, that's whatever the sign up fee is, a donation to the foundation. And it helps. Every little bit helps because we all know it's, you know, I mean, no matter what we're doing, it requires money for us to send patients from, you know, Indiana to a center of excellence in Los Angeles costs money. And we do do that. We offer that, or at least to the closest center that they're, they're at. We'll, we'll, we'll help with travel expenses. We'd like to do it for everybody. I mean, every, everybody that reaches out. But of course, we have to budget it. We have to live by a budget. So if we had no budget, everybody would go. Everybody would, yeah, we'd take everybody to Disneyland too while we're at it. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's, that's the kind of people you have working at this foundation. And they're, I want to say most are parents, but some aren't. Some are just people who heard our stories and are like, I want to help. And you know, our our biggest, I think the biggest thing the foundation has is the medical advisory committee. Our medical advisory committee kind of gives us the direction that we should go in. They look at the fellowships and say, these are good, these aren't. And that's what really comes first. We look at research first and then, and of course, patient services first. But um, I'd, like to, I'd like to just guide it in, in that direction and keep it going. And, you know, if we raise more money, then, then we could do more things. And maybe we could give scholarships to full scholarships to uh, kids, you know, thalassemia patients and thalassemia. Well, we give some to the patients, but maybe thalassemia patients' children could get a scholarship instead of just an incentive award. You know, just like to guide it that way. Yeah. So, so Ralph, you, you mentioned how lots of people just wants to get involved. And so before we go, how do you think that folks that are listening right now can get involved with Coolies? Well, I guess the first thing to do is to make sure you're registered with the foundation. Make sure we know you're a patient. We have so many patients out there that we don't know about. And if you know about a patient that's not registered, just go to the website and it's the dallasemia.org or coolies.org and um, register to the website. Easiest way to start getting involved is a care walk because once you're a captain of care walk, you, you, you start telling your story to people and you could do little fundraisers around your house or, you know, bake sales. We've, you know, this, this foundation started with bake sales and, and really the biggest issue was blood, blood drives. There's no reason why you can't, like my son did a blood drive in eighth grade because, you know, and, that, and he's continued to do one since he started a, a trend at his school every year they do a blood drive. It was part of his national honor society service. So, um, Call the foundation, go to the website, call us, see us on social media. We're at, we, we also have a, you know, a good social media presence, which hopefully is getting better. We hire a new person. so <laughs> That's great. So, Loris, 
from your perspective, any final questions or comments? You know, I learn. I every time I hear Ralph's story, I'm inspired as a you know fellow patient and advocate. And with your wisdom and strength and diplomacy and advocacy, Cooley's will award uh, grandchildren incentive award someday, Ralph. So. Really, no more questions, but I just, on behalf of like the patient community and the parent community and, and everyone, just thank you so much for your like decades of service and dedication. You make the thalassemia community just shine brighter because you're a star. So thank you. Well, you're, you're a rock star too. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us today. And Larice, thank you for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Dr. Quo. It's always a pleasure. And thank you both for having me. That is all for today's episode. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kuo, and I'd like to personally thank you for listening to Thou Pals, The Alpha Beta Revolution. Don't forget to hit the follow button in your favorite podcast apps so you don't miss an episode. Share the show with members of the thalassemia community. Thou Pals, the Alpha Beta Revolution is made possible by Agios Pharmaceuticals. Visit agios.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Kevin Quill, and I'll see you next time on Thou Pals, the Alpha Beta Revolution.